What's up, everyone? This is Hannah with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I am a physical therapist here in Charleston, and I am the new host of this podcast. This podcast is meant to give you the correct health and fitness information, along with spreading awareness of all of the different health and fitness professionals here in Charleston. I love being able to use this podcast as a way to meet all of those around me that are trying to make the world a better place. And my mission as a PT is to educate people and to empower them to take ownership and control of their health. This is season three of the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. You. Thanks so much for listening to the show. This podcast is sponsored by Made to Move Physical Therapy, and we believe that movement is medicine. If you have been dealing with pain that's preventing you from doing what you love, and if you're looking for a healthcare provider to help you meet your goals, then go to madetomovept.com slash contact us. That two is the number two. Fill out the form and reference the Healthy Charleston podcast. Listeners get 10% off their first session. Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Hannah Briel, and today we have Chris Bailey, coach and director of Without Limits Charleston and assistant coach of cross-country track and field for College of Charleston. Without Limits provides coaching for runners and triathletes, and Chris and I dive into what coaching really means and what it really means to him the importance of communication, and how to adjust your coaching based on individual needs. We talked about how Without Limits sets up their training and their practices and how they've created a community with a sport that is typically done individually. Chris is passionate about setting up a culture where value is assigned to consistency, effort, and hard work, and things beyond just performance measures like pace and time. So everyone, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. On today's episode, I have the coach and director of Without Limits Charleston and the assistant coach for College of Charleston Cross Country Track and Field, Chris Bailey. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Hannah. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. So can you tell me a little bit more about what what Without Limits is and your role within it? Sure, yeah. So uh, Without Limits uh, itself as a company actually just celebrated its 14th uh, birthday or anniversary. Yeah. Um, So it was founded by uh, Tom Clifford um, back, you know, you know, 14, so that'd be 2007, I guess it was. Um, and really mainly uh, it's coaching division. Um, so coaching at first just runners, but then growing into triathletes, other multi-sport, other endurance athletes. Uh, but over time, the, the business grew to involve um, nutrition, events, and also apparel. Um, so now there's those four divisions if you add in coaching as well. Um, I started with Elements Charleston uh, back in the towards the end, I guess October of 2015. It was literally right after we had the the super storm, the re- huge rain event that year. That's why I always remember when oh, it was. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we actually delayed the start 
a, a week or two because we had that historic flooding event. Um, oh, so what hurricane was that? I don't. Think it wasn't it was... even a hurricane. It was they just called it like a that's always a super how it storm happens. Or, it's just yeah. like a monsoon, <laughs> yeah. and it's now Lake Charleston. Yeah, it happened so, a few weeks ago. So yeah, we didn't we didn't start it off with swim practice. We waited for yeah. all the rain to go <laughs> to go away, um, and so we started yeah like October 2015, and um, for most of those you know six. Six, I guess we're coming up on it years. It was mostly me um, coaching runners and triathletes in the area. Um, but now we also have a sort of a co-coach, Hannah Molnauer, um, who also leads a group um, of, of runners, mainly more in the sort of Goose Creek kind of area. But we, we lead basically a, a team of endurance athletes, not only in the Charleston area, but we also have some remote or sort of virtual athletes as well. And so it's, it's endurance training, but with kind of a team, team focus. So our actual group run practices bring together athletes, you know, a, a wide range of uh, abilities, experiences, goals, but tries to get them to do a workout together in some way, even though their, you know, their, their paces, their, their efforts, their, you know, the amount of volume or, or mileage that they're doing within a workout might vary a lot. We bring them all together in some way to sort of feel, feel a, a cohesive experience. Um, and, you know, it adds, adds certainly a, you know, maybe a little bit of a competitive element to it, but mainly just sort of a, a fun and shared experience yeah, for people to have. Exactly, yeah. It's a, the community is a big part of it through the, the training itself, but also, you know, going and doing races or other events together, um, social events as well. Um, so here here in Charleston, we do mainly focus on that on that coaching sort of division of Without Limits. And we've been doing that for, you know, almost, almost six years now and are excited about... Um, excited about sort of the, the recent sort of growth of the program um, and, and where we're heading with it. So how did you get involved with it? Yeah, so I, I guess it was, it must have been March or April of 2014, I went to Wilmington or Wrightsville Beach, Wilmington area to do the Wrightsville Beach Marathon, which is one of the events that Tom Clifford, the owner of Without Limits, directs. So it's sort of one of the, one of the races or events that falls under the, the Without Limits umbrella. And um, I, I did that race and I got to know Tom, um, the owner of Without Limits, um, who directed the race as well. Um, I got to know him um, and, you know, we did a couple of races together. He's also a competitive runner and so came sort of friends or at least knew each other. And I, I, I was coaching in locally here. So I coached, I was a volunteer coach for Academic Magnet High School. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so my, my college coach, so going back even further, I, I ran cross country at College of Charleston, a little bit of track as well. My coach, Brian Johnson, um, soon after I graduated, started coaching at Academic Magnet High School. He's a teacher at, um, at School of the Arts and they share a campus. Mm-hmm. So he was the coach at Academic Magnet. Um, he's you know one of the biggest influences on my life um, broadly, but also with coaching specifically. And so I, I wanted to stay involved with with running in some way beyond just my own running and so i um while i was in graduate school at college of charleston but was done with my you know my ncaa eligibility i started volunteering with brian and so helped with mainly the boys team but also the girls team as well a little bit um for i want to say it was maybe two and a half years i don't think it was a full three years but i was able to assist those teams while i was in grad school and it kind of worked worked with my schedule um, as a grad student uh, but as I finished grad school and started working in more of like a nine to five kind of Corporate. schedule, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't really, you know, mesh with meeting the high school kids at you know three o'clock or three fifteen whenever we were meeting them. Um, so that started sort of the 
ball rolling in my head of like, how, how can I in some way kind of continue coaching? Um, and at first it was just, you know, work with a, you know, a friend or two that wanted to train for a specific race. Uh, but then I kind of realized I maybe wanted to do something that was a little more formal. And I, um, so I pursued a, you know, a coaching certification through USA track and field. And then I approached Tom who I'd met through that race just to kind of learn more about what he was doing with, without limits. I had seen that I think at that point there was definitely a Greenville location, a Greenville, South Carolina location for without limits with the coaching division. And I'm trying to think that may, at that point that may have been it, but I at least knew that they were expanding to new locations or at least were open to it. And so I, I asked Tom about it and he said, you know, let's definitely chat about it. And so over oh, it time, wasn't even a thing yet. In yeah. Oh no. Yeah. So it didn't exist yet in Charleston at that point. Um, and like I said, I think this was, so I ran that race in, you know, March or April of 2014 as March. And then, um, this was probably just later in 2014 mm-hmm. that I started talking to Tom more and more about potentially bringing it to this area. And then, um, you know, by the time, you know, 2015 came around, we were actually like putting, putting plans in place for it and, you know, started, started with our first kind of practice. I was, I remember like just begging people to come to practice, <laughs> trying to see like who, like, cause I don't, I, I certainly understand as, you know, as a, someone who's done different, you know, practices or, or workout classes or groups that when you don't know anything about it, you can't really visualize it or conceptualize it. Um, or even if you can, but you just are kind of anxious to try something new. Um, it's sort of, I don't know, a little bit of out of your comfort zone. Like it's kind of hard to, to get people to, to get over that hump and to, to attend something, even, even if it's free, even if like you're incentivizing them, it's, it's certainly hard. Exactly. Yeah. And it it was completely new to this area. And, you know, maybe there would be a few people in this area back then that maybe had heard of it through, you know, through the, from the Wilmington location, but, um, really wasn't any kind of awareness. Um, they weren't like, Oh my God, thank God you're here. We'll be there. (laughs) Exactly. So no, no one was super excited. Um, (laughs) and you know, back then, I mean, certainly people who knew me were really supportive that I was doing it, but, um, and I, I was trying to obviously leverage kind of my personal network at first people who, you know, who knew me, um, through maybe the, the road racing kind of community, um, in Charleston or, you know, around the state or, um, maybe that knew me, I used to work at tri sports. So it was a running mm-hmm. triathlon store that's um, been closed for several years now, but people who maybe knew me through that. And hopefully I had built a little bit of credibility through that and, and coaching at the high school level, but it's still, I, I remember being so nervous about, and, and Tom Clifford, the owner of without limits actually came, came down for that first practice. And I, I remember being, um, or, and like I said, it got delayed a, a week or oh, a week or so yeah. from the storm. So that, that added to it. <laughs> and I, I just remember, you know, telling Tom, I'm like, I, I think people are going to be there, but we'll, we'll just have to see yeah, who shows up. <laughs> exactly. Right? And I was like, you know, if, if no one shows up, we'll just, we'll just go for a run, I guess. Yeah. You just yeah. do the thing you were planning on doing. Exactly. How long have you been in Charleston? Personally, I've been, uh, since fall of 2008. So okay. yeah, I, um, I came here, uh, I attended college of Charleston mm-hmm. for undergrad and, and, and graduate school as well. And I, uh, I ran for the team. So okay. that was you know, part of the reason why I came to Charleston mm-hmm. was, um, to call to Charleston was for, for running, but certainly only a part of that reason. So as long as you've been here, have we always had such a big triathlete population? Because I was shocked, like when I was shadowing or doing rotations 
especially here, we had so many patients that were triathletes. I was like, I didn't even know that these, one, didn't even know what it was a few years ago. And I did not know Charleston had so many people that participated in these types of events. Yeah, I think, you know, with triathlon specifically for the Charleston area, I think it's just a, it's kind of an environment that, that lends itself to the sport. I mean, just with the access to several, you know, pools and and open water places to swim, Um, you know, it's a great um, in terms of like mobility for for running, it's it's pretty good. Um, no hills. No hills. Yeah, <laughs> other than the bridge. <laughs> yeah, everyone just have rest to yeah. run the bridge. Um, there's a lot. There's a long way to go in terms of you know cycling and you know safety and you know sort Ooh, of like getting around. Yeah. But you can certainly get out of out of town for for longer rides and all of that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I think the environment lends itself to it. Um, triathlon, especially compared to running, is is a more expensive sport to participate in and you know maybe you know compared to other areas Charleston obviously has a good bit of wealth um so that that I think is a factor um and I I, you know I think we're just in general a a community that likes being outdoors enjoying you know the natural environment Mm -hmm. of Charleston and yeah so we and and you you can't really talk about this without having you know mentioning all the great people who are putting on the events you know locally especially Mm -hmm. um Obviously, you know, the, there's a, you know, the bridge run is sort of the, the marquee one, but there's a lot of also smaller events yeah. that, that help sort of... It's like James Island. There's yeah, the Iowa. Sprint Triathlon Series. Yeah, Those are happening then, like right now. They have yeah, Sunday, exactly. Right? Yep. Yeah. So we're there, you know, three-fifths into the, the sort of series. And um, so people people and organizations like that that put on the events to to bring together the community and also to to give them something to, to shoot for is, mm-hmm. is really important. So. so when did you realize that you had a passion for coaching? Hmm. Because it seems like you just kept seeking it out. Yeah, yeah. And I I think, you know, I, I certainly was a, a serious athlete, I would say, in, or I hesitate to say athlete. I was a serious runner. You were an <laughs> and, athlete. Yeah. What do <laughs> I, sometimes I hesitate to, to think of myself probably as an athlete. Um, I'm, I'm seeing that more and more because I know I would tell my athletes exactly. that, uh, that I coach. I call, obviously just call them athletes. But I, I really, you know, I, I enjoyed running in high school and I, I took it pretty seriously because I, I saw that it was finally a sport that I, I had an aptitude for and, and could enjoy doing it whether I was completely alone or with a group of people and kind of found my sort of, you know, community within, you know, high school um, that way. But um, I certainly wasn't super, in, you know, interested in like coaching you know, from the, the scientific standpoint or the motivation aspect, um, really until probably I was in college, I think. And, you know, I mentioned before, Brian Johnson was my coach there. Um, he was the assistant coach for the men's team and sort of was the one who was mainly working with us, you know, um, at practice and assigning our workouts. And I think through that, I realized that, you know, how important it can be to have someone who like truly believes in you and what you can do. Um, maybe, maybe believes you can do things like before you're even ready to even imagine them or certainly before you're ready to see yourself actually doing them and execute them. And I think that that was really kind of impactful for me. Like for someone to see your potential. Exactly. And so, I mean, I think back to a couple of either workouts or a race or two where, you know, Brian would tell me that, oh, you're going to, you know, you'll, I want you to aim for these splits in a workout, or, you know, we're going to try to run this, this time for this race coming up. And I would just be, especially, (laughs) especially early on my, you know, my freshman, freshman year, certainly, um, 
because it was just a, a big leap from where I was in high school. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't really believe him, but I trusted him enough to mm-hmm. just be like, well, let's, let's just see. And then you say so. Yeah. And then usually, you know, he would, he would be right. And so, um, my goal eventually just became to maybe, you know, do something that would surprise even him. Although it seemed like it was difficult to do that because he had such, such sort of belief in me. And so I think that was kind of a, kind of an impetus for me to want to, to maybe to be that person for others. And also knowing that, um, and I've, you know, certainly I had other coaches that, that provided that, or at least I learned, learned something else from, and then that helped me realize that a coach doesn't have to fit any one specific kind of mold, or you don't have to be a certain personality type to be an effective coach. Um, especially if you keep in mind that not every athlete is going to respond mm-hmm. the, in the same way to a, a different type of, of coach or different type of um, mentor to them. So Yeah, so let's talk about coaching. Yeah. So what does it mean to you? What does coaching mean to you? Yeah, I mean, that that's a, you know, <laughs> that's a hard to encompass in, in sort of one, one sentence or something really, you know, concrete. But um, at least for me, I, I sort of see it as, it's not just a, a one-way kind of relationship. Like you certainly, um, you know, when I think of, you know, working with one of my athletes, I'm sending, sending them workouts. I'm either at practice with them, you know, g- giving them their workout there and monitoring it, giving them feedback. But I'm only as effective of a coach as I can be when they are also giving me feedback mm-hmm. as well, um, especially as they get more and more experienced. Hopefully I um, have been at least part of their journey in realizing what, what works best for them, what, what they respond best to, um, as opposed to me just continuing to assign the same types of workouts or try to communicate them to them in the same types of ways. Um, I think it's, it's most effective when you're, you're coaching in a sort of a more collaborative approach mm-hmm. as opposed to just sort of a, you know, authoritative, like I'm telling this, you what exactly. To do. Um, and I think, I think there's a, it's a balance you have to strike because, you know, there's, there's a lot of science, science to coaching, but there's also, you know, the, the, the art, art of coaching mm-hmm. as well and figuring out, you know, you know, this, this type of workout or this way of even communicating to this athlete worked, but maybe this is not the route to take with this other athlete that I'm working with. Or maybe even if you look at an individual athlete at different parts of their, of their life, there might be a different way that you need to approach them. So I think, um, you know, coaching is, is really challenging in that way, but it's also really gratifying in that way that you can, if you really can learn how to communicate with one another, um, that you're likely to, to have success, um, wh- whatever that means for you and the athlete. Yeah, it's like any other kind of relationship, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to have communication. And with these kind of things, I think people also like always expect, if Chris is my coach, he's just going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. But me not giving you any feedback and not communicating doesn't help you at all with telling me like what route to go Mm -hmm. so I think the communication is a huge piece and like you said the collaborative nature of it Mm -hmm. and now we're in this like coaching industry right like everyone is a coach Mm -hmm. what do you think makes the difference between a good coach and a great coach sure yeah I mean I think you know that that word is is used a lot more these days and I think people are 
more likely to, to want to be coached in a num- number of different areas, whether that be, you know, a, a sport they participate in or with their finances, with their career, with their, their nutrition, anything like that. Um, and I, you know, I think that I don't think it's necessarily a red flag if people are just throwing around this word coach, but I think people certainly should kind of look, look in to see, you know, what type of training or certification, what kind of experience these people have, um, so that you can, you know, understand if this is someone who, who you can really trust with something that's obviously very important to you if you're seeking out advice in it and seeking out support in it. Um, what was, what was the rest of the no, question? No, no, <laughs> no, I want to talk about that too. Like yeah. what, well, I guess like why, why is everyone a coach now? Because it's like, like you said, financial, nutrition, mm-hmm. your life, the sport, everyone is a coach. Have you seen any red flags? Like, is that what makes you think about these things? You know, I, I think, and this maybe even goes back to like what a, what a coach, you know, should be or what they mm-hmm. are is I think you should be cautious when, if someone is saying that they are an expert in more areas than they might be. And, and also that someone who is very like set in their, in their ways and their methodology and their way of, of working with someone, because, um, I, I always think that the, the best coaches are not ones that are trying to be secretive or to try to like hold on tightly to their, I guess maybe you could call it like their IP, their intellectual property. Like they're not, they're not okay with their athlete, like Sharing. telling, yeah, telling, telling someone else, oh, I, they're having me do this workout or that workout, or you, you know, do you want to do this workout with me? Like I'm totally fine yeah. with that. I have several athletes that do that. And if they can have support from others when they're doing the workout, that's great. Um, and I, you know, for the most part, that other person will probably benefit as well. But maybe eventually they'll, they'll, they'll figure out that, you know, maybe I can benefit even more if I actually engage with this coach. They can adapt things um, to, to me specifically and sort of individualize it for me. Um, and also in terms of like sharing, sharing with other people who want to be coaches. So I, you know, my, um, co-coach Hannah Moldenauer and I, we've been leading a, a seminar series basically of, um, of sessions on different topics, you know, over the past like 10 or so weeks, um, for people in the, all, yeah, all in the Charleston area who are interested in becoming coaches or at least want to, and it's been running focus, not, not, mm-hmm. um, not really triathlon. We wanted to be a little bit more focused. Um, but people who are either are, are starting to coach, like emerging coaches, maybe want to become coaches, and maybe even a few who just want to kind of learn, learn about coaching um, for their own purposes or maybe just to kind of mentor, advise other people. Maybe they don't want to take on a formal role with it. And for me, that it's as someone who's leading it and who already is a coach and it's really just sharing my knowledge, it's helping me sort of reflect on, on what I'm doing, what, what I'm doing well, what I could do better. And so kind of going back, I think it's a, a red flag when you see people who are really secretive, who hold like some of, some of their sort of info really tightly, people who try to make, you know, teams, clubs, things like that really sort of exclusive or kind of separated out from the rest of the community. Um, so I think when you, when you find someone who is, you know, you know, credentialed, has some experience, you hear good things from other people about them, um, then you maybe feel a little more comfortable seeking them out as, as a coach. Um, cause like I said, if, if you are wanting a coach in that, that area, it's obviously something that's, that's very important to you mm. because you're about to commit, you know, 
resources, you know, your, your, your time and, and money probably to, to that. And so you want to make sure you're, you're doing some sort of like vetting. Um, mm-hmm. And also realizing it may be, you know, from, from my ex, um, perspective as a coach, I will, I'll tell an athlete if I'm maybe not the best coach for them. Like if I either don't have experience in maybe the type of event that they're wanting to train for or the kind of very specific goal they have in mind, but I know of someone else, I will, I will certainly refer to some other, you know, local coach or another coach from some other area that I know of and know is going to be a better choice for that athlete. Yeah. It's almost like being a case manager of saying Mm -hmm. like someone comes to you, they have all of these things that they want instead of being like, okay, well, let me help you with all of these things that I'm actually, I'm not an expert about, or instead of being like, sorry, beyond my scope, can't help you you are connected enough and you want to help them. And so you show them how they can get the help that they want. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just the difference between having an abundance or a growth mentality Mm -hmm. versus scarcity of, you know, there are a million people more than that that could benefit from your services and that it's not, it might seem like a competition, but it's, it's not like if we want everyone to have a coach that leads them towards their goals then we know we need way more coaches. And I think it also, it's, it's because you know coaching is way more than just giving a workout. That's why, like, you're not afraid if someone shares their workout. Mm-hmm. That's great. Like, it's, it's free information. It's not like that's the only thing that you do. Mm-hmm. It's not secret. Have you had a bad experience or, like, have you had clients that have had bad experiences with those types of coaches? Yeah, I mean, right now I can't recall a, you know a specific example, but I, I know that you know, like I said before, there's just because someone um, someone could be a great coach, um, you know, in general, but just may not be a good fit for mm-hmm. a specific athlete in terms of either their you know their their personalities don't mesh well or their their kind of type of communication um, isn't the best, and and sometimes those those might be the cases where. You know, I've had someone come to me from another coach, either either because I was referred, they, they referred them to me, or maybe they just didn't have a great relationship. But also the same way that I would if, you know, if I don't think I'm the, the best coach for someone, I might refer them out to someone else. Or, or if, if I've, you know, if I notice that things just aren't clicking with me and another athlete, then maybe recommend that they work, that work with someone else. Or, um, and that would probably be sort of like a, a last resort, because you obviously want to figure out a way if, if, you know, you can maybe adjust your approach and just have an honest conversation with that athlete. But, um, I think, you know, it's, um, it's important to really evaluate the the relationship between coach and athlete over time. And even, even just evaluate and sort of figure out, um, the best approach that you're taking with, with the training and overall ask an overall sort of approach to just what are we working towards? What are, what are our goals here? Because those those change over time as well, and it may that may mean that maybe another coach is the best fit, or it maybe just means let's just adjust adjust what we're doing. Like we talked about before, communication is is such an mm-hmm. important aspect of that of that relationship. And I I think going back to we talked about red flags about coaches. Like you don't if if you have a coach that's so rigid in their in their methodology and the way they approach training then that, I think that's a red flag. If they're not willing to, to try out new things and to see see how, if a different approach might work. Like to grow and to change. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know, I think 
I think effective coaches are open to trying new things out and and like to be challenged to try to get towards that goal we already know the athlete has but try try like a different route a different path um, and I think that that's something that coaches also become more comfortable with over time because at first you're probably very as a coach especially if you're coaching in a, in a sport you participated in um, in, a, in a sport that um, maybe you had you know one or very few coaches or maybe you've been self-coached your whole whole life it's it's a little bit harder to branch out from what you are used to in your own experience. But the more the more experience you have, um, the more times you've been challenged or at least have active communication with an athlete about what's best for them. Um, I think the more open you are to approaching appro- approaching training, approaching goal setting, but also you know achieving goals in a, in different ways um, based on who you're working with. Yeah, I feel like when you start out as a coach, or like me as a PT, you start out with, okay, well, this is what has helped me, or this is what I know has helped people, and this is what I feel comfortable with. And then as you start to get clients, get patients, get athletes, you learn all of the different ways you can help mm-hmm. people. And like you said, with now that you're teaching people how to be coaches, it makes you a better coach. Mm-hmm. I think teaching is one of the best ways to learn because now you get to reflect, now you get to think about mm-hmm. things in a different way. People might challenge you and then it just allows you to grow and then ultimately become a better coach mm-hmm. and serve your clients better. Are there specific things that show you that the coach and athlete relationship is not going to be a good fit? Like are there signs where you're like, "Oh, this isn't going to be great?" Like would that be sort of like the like initial kind of like inquiry stage of like sort of like figuring out Mm -hmm. if you're going to work together um you know as i mentioned before like if they maybe are 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 training for some type of event that you have absolutely no experience with um and don't even have know where you would start Mm -hmm. to to in terms of preparing them i mean i think that's one thing although at the same time you know we talked about you you kind of have to have those opportunities that that push you out of your comfort zone as a coach as well so um you know, I've earlier in, in my coaching when I first took on, say, my first like ultra runner kind of athlete or mm-hmm. ultra trail athlete, um, I I didn't have any experience coaching that before, and I didn't also I didn't have any personal experience with those events. So I was upfront with them. Mm-hmm. I was like, "This challenge sounds amazing. I would love to help you, you know, work towards this. But I do want you to know that this will be the first time for me." <laughs> yeah. um, and you you just you'll just have to go in knowing that um, if if you'd like to work with me and you know that the the example I'm thinking of that you know the person this was very early like this was this person maybe attended the practice that I was scared oh gosh, about no one showing up to is an ultra runner. yeah it, I think it was maybe the only person at that first practice that I didn't know at all like that um, mm. I had no personal okay. connection to yeah okay. and so and I'm now I'm trying to remember how they would have even known about it but um, yeah so it was that very first person and after him coming to maybe it wasn't the first practice that he told me this but pretty soon after he he I could tell that he wanted to, to continue on and build some sort of coach athlete relationship and he you know told me what his, his goals were and that he wanted to do you know, hundred mile run, hundred mile runs, twenty four hour runs, Ooh. and he had never done it before. <laughs> I'm gonna need to do some research. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, that was a great you know growth opportunity for for both of us, but for me as a coach, um, 
but I, like I said, I was up front with him telling him that it, it would be new and, you know, it ended up going well. And that was incredibly rewarding for, for both of us. Um, so I would say that's, you know, something to consider um, and something that could be a potential issue. Um, you know, there's also, you know, in terms of there's more logistical reasons why it might not work well in terms of, you know, maybe in terms of geographically where you're host holding things, you know, the time that you're available versus the time that they're available. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, personalities that might match better. Um, right now it's, you know, both me and, and Hannah Molnauer that are coaching in the area and potentially more coaches um, down the road. Um, and so the more we can grow in, in that way, the more we can actually ref, like decide who might be the best mm-hmm. coach for an athlete as opposed to at the, at the beginning, it was just me. So there wasn't, at least if they were going to be within without limits, like mm-hmm. there wasn't really a decision to make about who was coaching them. But yeah. the more, the more, experience that we have as a group of coaches collectively grows hopefully the more gaps we can fill in in Mm -hmm. terms of who who we can be a good fit for yeah like you might be a good fit for this person but someone else might be a great fit for that person so Mm -hmm. it's like you can definitely do it but as you start to grow your team you might have someone that it will be an even better relationship Mm -hmm. are there things that pop up along the way that show you that you need to adjust, you need to pivot, maybe you need to refer? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, one thing can be is if you just kind of notice that the athlete just doesn't seem as as motivated to do the training or, you know, you just don't see that same kind of spark or passion maybe you saw before. And I think that's a time to talk to them about, you know, do we need to take a break? Do we need to set some sort of new goal, revisit the goals that we, you know, you've told me about before. Um, have you set a goal recently? Like I, I sometimes that, that is something that, um, you can easily fall into, especially when you maintain these really long relationships with athletes. Mm -hmm. So if you've been, you know, for me, some of the athletes I coach, I've been working with for five, six years now, and it's important to have check-ins just to see like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, unless I hear otherwise, or unless I sort of pick up on something, perceive something that's changing about what you want to get out of it, it I'm, it's hard to know to, for me to change paths. So going back to that communication, um, sort of the importance of it, um, you know, you always want to make sure you are on the same page in terms of what they want to work towards. Mm-hmm. And if, if the if the answer, and hopefully they're, they, you've built up a relationship, an environment where they can be open and honest with you, maybe the answer is that they just need a break. Mm-hmm. You know, a break from from training, maybe, or a break from at least very, you know, structured, like focused. Yeah, maybe a yeah. break from competing all um, altogether. Um, it's it's you know a lot of different things that might tell you to you know maybe we need to take a little bit of a break, which is fine. And I I always hope that my athletes feel comfortable in sharing something like like that with me or any kind of like concerns they have with me, questions. Um, the worst thing you want to do is is create an environment where they assume that you're going to be super super rigid in what they want to do, or that mm-hmm. or that you're only in it for that you're only invested in their performance um, yeah. as an athlete. That you're not you know you you can't at least from my standpoint you can't be coaching someone and not as equally concerned about you know their, their enjoyment of the sport their overall you know, well-being as you are in their, you know, race results or whatever, you know, if if they're, you know, pursuing it for more fitness, you can't just be, 
you know, focused on that. Um, yeah. Because you care about exactly. them as a, as a whole person. Um, Just not, after five years. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They, they become, you know, you know, part of, of your life. It's, it's something that I know at least I as a coach don't take lightly. And, and most coaches that I know, um, certainly it, it becomes a very kind of personal thing mm-hmm. to them. And that's where I think the art of coaching comes in. Like, there's so much science. Great. Like, Mm. that's almost the stuff that, like, we have figured out. It's the fact that every human in front of you is so different Mm. and that you might have to adjust your communication style. You might have to adjust adjust the intensity of their training through their different seasons of life or... Mm hey, I'm competing, but right now I really just want to train for enjoyment. Okay, now I want to be a little bit more serious. And so it's like you're you're constantly in this flux trying to figure out the best way to coach them to get them towards whatever goal it is. And that goal might sometimes just be for them to do it consistently and enjoy it. I think that's what makes it really difficult is that it's, it's not just you're going to get this hamster to run on this wheel like Mm -hmm. that would be so easy and I like what you said about trying to make sure that your your athlete is enjoying it and that you it's the whole person and you care about them it's not just okay well what was your pace what was your time it's like how are you feeling about training in general and that's why people stick to it that's why it's sustainable it's because it fits into their life it's enough of a challenge to make them better but if you don't enjoy it like almost why are you doing it? Like there's no, we don't have enough time or space in our lives to do anything else additionally mm-hmm. that we don't enjoy. Like you hire a coach to get better at something that you want to get better at. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that people choose their, their coaches for, for things that they actually really enjoy. Yeah. So I want to talk about your process, like what it looks like as an athlete to be coached by you, whether that's like, weekly you know when your check-ins are what practices are like the team environment just like how that looks sure yeah i mean so it works in a number of different ways just based on you know the the time an athlete has and also where they are geographically but for um for i would say there's kind of three three categories of of athletes we work with in terms of just the the training setup so there are some athletes that um that will attend our 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 group run practices that we have each week. And right now we have about six of those a week that are, you know, coached practices by, you know, either myself or or Hannah, um, that are leading, leading the athletes through a a structured workout. Um, it's running, but also drills, some strength, mobility, a lot of stretching, um, a lot of different sort of elements to the practice. Um, so those are offered, you know, throughout the, the, the week itself. Um, and so we have some athletes who will, sort of only come to those practices and that's sort of their the coaching that they receive um and they aren't really following a plan um outside of that that we're at least giving them that their coach is assigning them um you know the coach is certainly there to provide advice and feedback but there's no sort of formal assignment of workouts outside of what practices they attend so that if you want to look at that from sort of the model of like signing up for a fitness class Mm -hmm. that you're taking it's similar to that um, and then we have athletes who are fully being coached remotely or fully or almost nearly being coached r- remotely um, through an online training platform called Training Peaks, where mm-hmm. a coach can assign workouts and the athlete can, you know, uh, upload their all of their data from their, you know, their any kind of tracking or wearable device. Um, and also obviously lots of email, text, mm-hmm. phone call kind of communication. So there's the all just 
at practice, just showing up for that. There's someone, you know, online programming what I'll do on a daily basis, even if that day is just a rest day, but sort of this is what you'll be doing each day and providing analysis of the data, feedback on that. And then there's some athletes who will sort of merge those two and they'll be attending our group practices, but also on the days that they're not there are following the training mm-hmm. plan that's being sent to them online. So like they they have their individualized training, but they also get to participate in the community with the team. Exactly. And do some of their workouts with people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And like I said, it, when sort of describing the, the group practices before, even though everyone, you know, is different fitness level, experience, background, different races and goals they're training for, um, we can kind of have one one kind of we call it the main set of the workout the kind of core you know the meat and potatoes of the workout can be tailored to fit all of those different needs but you still feel like you're all doing the same workout yeah and sort of benefiting from you know in, in the encouragement of others and the you know a lot of times when you're doing a workout alone, it's it's easier to just kind of just slap off to just stop. <laughs> yep. um, it feels harder. Um, the you know the benefit of being with others, whether it's the practical nature of you know just having someone to to pace you and you can just shut your mind off and you just kind of follow them, or even just the the benefit you get from thinking about oh I hope it's going well for them like oh I'm encouraging them mm-hmm. makes you think about your own pain cave that you're in a little bit less yeah, and like you're sharing you out with of others. Yourself. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that so much more recently, like because we are now getting into this age of more remote coaching, individualized programming and the difference that it makes. Like for me personally, I can do a workout here alone or I can go do a workout and it's a different workout than what my friend is doing, but we're still working out together. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, you just feel so much better and you feel connected. Like, you're not just like isolated doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm alone and it says eight rounds, mm, I might do six. Yeah. If I'm with someone, I'm like, okay, we're doing this together. And it, it, yeah, like you said, it just allows you to like get out of yourself, think about something other than your suffering. And also I think there's something big about like suffering together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that community is so important. And I like, I love that y'all have created that with something that's, typically thought of as an individual Mm -hmm. sport where it's not just a workout it's a practice it's like a team Mm -hmm. practice yeah I mean we kind of modeled it after you know you know over time after our experiences you know whether you know be high school high school cross country track practice or college as well for Mm -hmm. some of us that are coaching through without limits and to try to you know bring all the the benefits and the Certainly, the, the you know the, the seriousness and the structure, but also also the fun of, of doing oh, yeah. it together. Um, it's it's a sport that you know it, all endurance sports are, you know, they're challenging. You are you're you're aiming to push yourself harder and harder. So it's it isn't necessarily always enjoyable. I, I guess is is mm-hmm. not always the best word to describe it. But if you're doing it with others, um, it's just it's it's more fulfilling. It it can be more fun. Um, and at the same time, if you're the kind of person who who prefers to, to be kind of alone when you're doing your workouts, you don't always have to be coming to, to the practices. You yeah. can do you know most of your other training kind of solo as well and have those kind of just zone out. Mm-hmm. You know, And usually those would be the athletes more, um, especially if they're a runner, just their, their easy runs, recovery runs, they would do sort of on their own. But when you're you know the one to two days a week where you want to really bring it and run a hard mm-hmm. workout, you've got... You've got people who are there um, 
coaching you, like your coach is there leading you, and you also have teammates um, that are alongside you doing the same or, or similar type mm-hmm. of workout. Where do y'all do these workouts? Yeah, so um, our sort of two home bases are um, Hampton Park downtown. Okay. Yeah. Um, for Those are most of the practices that I lead, and then Hannah leads most of hers up in um, Goose Creek near like okay. the city hall there. Mm-hmm. Um, we do occasionally rotate different locations just to kind of get a different kind of stimulus. So like this... Um, this morning, yeah, that was this morning. <laughs> we were at the at the Ravenel Bridge, uh, so getting yeah, hill repeats. Our only hill, <laughs> exactly, or are just kind of somewhere somewhere new, but mainly try to be a location that's not too far away from the kind of center of town, so that it doesn't yeah. exclude people if we move it one way or the other. Um, and going back a little bit, an- another benefit of that kind of group atmosphere and and having a coach there is, you know, we talked about, you know, you'd use the example is you you might only do six. Uh, the rounds if you're assigned to eight well maybe six is actually the right answer for you that day and it's something your coach if they're there in front of you maybe they can pick up on and know that like okay maybe this is the time to actually stop the workout um that's something that um especially for certain types of athletes that that want to keep pushing 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 um it helps to have someone there sometimes to pull them back to not necessarily tell them to do more but have them to do a little bit less yeah and so for me, if I if I notice that an athlete's either you know really really struggling with the workout or you know maybe they're maybe they're hitting all of their goal splits for the workout but like their form has started to just fall apart like let's let's stop it there there's no there's no benefit in us mm-hmm. reinforcing you running with poor form let's cut it there the, you know the workout was great up until this point let's not you know not, not say that we do any ground. damage but let's let's not yeah. let's not um you know you know, have, like I said, reinforce that bad form yeah. that you have right now. Let's kind of cut it there. Be happy with what we got out of the day. Go, let's go cool down and then we'll, we'll meet back up. And that's why you need a coach. Exactly. <laughs> because like I could say, oh, I just didn't do as much today, but my coach would say, oh, this is exactly what you needed today. Mm-hmm. And just to have someone that not only like knows your abilities, but also knows, like you said earlier, knows your potential and also always has like the long game in mind. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just about like checking off that workout. It's about you as a whole. Mm-hmm. What does your communication like with each of your athletes? What does that look like? Is that in person? Like, can they come talk to you? Is it email? How does that work? Yeah, I mean that that varies a lot. I mean, yeah. a lot of it, you know. In a perfect world, all the athletes I coach would 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 be not necessarily at the pract like the the current practices I'm leading, but in the perfect world, I'd get to see them in person all the time. I think mm-hmm. that's always the best way to 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 communicate to um, to pick up on things that maybe aren't verbally being communicated to you. Um, but you know, for athletes who are are not coming to practice or at least not regularly, you know, sometimes for some people, it's it's you know, text communication, email. Um, the Training Peaks platform that we use for people who are being coached that way allows for communication as well okay. and sort of, a, you know, kind of a, provides a feedback loop for how the coaching is going. Um, and then, but yeah, a lot of times the, the best communication is sort of the, the informal things when mm-hmm. you're, you know, at, at practice or at a, at a race you're doing together um, or, or that the coach just attends because you're doing the race or even social events that we have as a team things mm-hmm. like that yeah like seeing them in person is, mm-hmm. is definitely preferred yeah and really you know we have some athlete i mean even though we call them you know virtual or remote athletes um the ones that don't at really attend any practices most of them are still in the charleston area so yeah. you see them around every once in a while at, at races or 
you know, occasionally just while you're out running um, or doing another workout or for, for group meetups on the weekend for, for uh, workouts. Um, we have a few virtual athletes who truly don't even live in the Charleston area, but, and there, um, and there are a lot of coaches, endurance coaches um, specifically that will coach pretty much fully remotely having never met mm-hmm. athletes that they're working with. And I, I, I think that would be a challenge. Um, I, the few athletes I work with that are, don't live in Charleston all did at, at some point live in Charleston. Yeah. I had that, that, you know, in-person relationship with them and they just sort of, they, they moved for whatever reason and wanted to continue that relationship. So, yeah. um, not to say that I wouldn't take on a, a fully remote athlete I've, I've never met in person, but there certainly would be challenges to that. Yeah, and it's just a different way. It makes yeah. me think of these, um, the companies now that are, you know, have moved to fully working from home mm-hmm. and it seems manageable if you already know your team that you're working with but now we're you know people are hiring new employees and they've never met you know someone that works on their team at work um in person and so that i think you have to be more even more thorough with an onboarding process with getting to know to know them um yeah zoom interviews can only do so much (laughs) right are there any misconceptions about coaching that we need to clear up I think because we've actually you know covered some of them like um, you know coaches only see you as an athlete and and only see value in your performances like I think that's a misconception you know I think we see athletes or our or, or runners or triathletes as as whole people and there's value in in what you add to a team beyond what you you know your performance at practice or your performance in a race um, you know what I what I like about the kind of team environment that we have set up is that people will see the value in this this athlete that's always really encouraging to everyone else at practice. This athlete who has been through something really difficult but has managed to to to, to get through it and to you know still wants to be a part of the team and you know contribute in any way they can. You know, there's you know the athletes that you know are are the the, the pace setters for us. There's you know lots of um, Lots of different things that our athletes can add, and I, I think that some some people might think that coaches are only, only focused and and seeing and valuing, the the performance, mm-hmm. and and I try to be mindful of that as a coach. I mean, the the easiest thing to, to kind of, you know, give attention to an athlete for or um, to uh, sort of congratulate them for is, you know, is like a performance mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, objective terms with a race or even a workout, but being able to pull out, you know, that, Hey, that time that you were really encouraging to your teammate or that example that you set, um, you know, for maybe a, a younger person on our team, or even, you know, the, you know, when I see our teammates that are helping each other out in terms of like networking or professional mm-hmm. things outside of, you know, like the, the team itself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a, a misconception if, if people think that, you know, we, we see athletes as just these... Just the time. Just these, yeah, just these robots, just like the input of the training, the output of the yeah. performance. Oh, God, it's a lot no. more than that. If it was that easy, yeah. oh, man, yeah. No, it's, it's definitely, it's way more than that. It's like, congrats on just showing up today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, congrats exactly. Congrats on doing something that's, that's good for you. Or congrats to saying no. There's a lot of other things rather than like your time and your pace. Yeah, I mean, me is uh, like when I'm doing my own training and I, you know, it's it's like right now it's summer. It's super hot, super humid. And I'm like, this is this is rough. And I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, 
this morning or last night, I was coaching these athletes mm-hmm. through practice. They came, you know, right after a long day of work. They're it's hot. They're dehydrated. They're pushing through a workout. Um, unless, obviously, like I said, if I see that it's not going well, I will tell them <laughs> they need to cut it. But um, but maybe they're 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 doing okay. But it's still very challenging mm-hmm. to them and. That's something that, that motivates me, whether it's in when I'm working out during my, my races, I certainly draw on on the inspiration that they that they give me. And I, I want to show up for them in the same way that they show up, hopefully not just for me, because I don't want my athletes to think they, they're doing it for me, but doing it for me as a another member of the team, like mm-hmm. they would show up for, for their teammates. Um, yeah. Because they I know that they're drawing on their teammates. So it's it's a, a two way thing. It's collaborative. Why does the heat suck so much? <laughs> Why does it change things so drastically? Yeah. Well here it's 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 the heat, but it's mainly the humidity. And I, I always tell athletes to look not really just the humidity percentage. That doesn't tell you as much as as like the actual dew point mm. will tell you. Um the dew point is sort of the best measure of how miserable it is Great. so when you kind of take into account the the temperature and the dew point um when it when those two added together is, is really high like say the temperature and the dew point you know combined is 150 or above so say it's like a 80 degree day and 70 degree dew point that's 150 together which is actually pretty low for here in charleston is pretty yeah. Low, right? yeah yeah that's that that starts getting pretty pretty miserable and you you know you need to make adjustments so whether that's you know, cutting the volume or cutting, you know, how much mileage you're doing or at least adjusting the, the, the pace that you would expect yourself to, to run at or um, to a little bit lesser extent to how, how, how quickly or how much power you can, can ride with on a bike. Um, swimming is obviously it's a, it's a nicer thing to do in the summer, yeah. so it's not really affected that much by the heat and humidity. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a major factor. And as long as you account for it and adjust for it, and don't have the same expectations mm-hmm. performance-wise, once you do kind of get to the, the cooler months or those mornings and the maybe maybe by like late October, November, oh maybe. Yeah, <laughs> January. Um, yeah, that feel, you know, lower dew point, lower temperature, you're like, wow, I didn't, I just got so fit. And it's like, no, you were fit that whole time. Mm. You just couldn't see it because it was sort of cloaked by the, the heat and the humidity. You didn't express it as much. Exactly. So it's, it's all about making those adjustments over the summer, but then also realizing that there's, there's something there that you, you have. It's just, you need the right environmental conditions to be able to, to express it. So it is true that training in this weather, if you do it right, will end you end up, will make you end up as a better athlete in the fall. It can. Yeah. In terms of, you know, um, physiological adaptations and your, you know, like your blood volume will go up and, and plasma as well. Um, and you're, you become a little bit more efficient at producing white blood cells. And so you can carry more oxygen. Sometimes people say that it's like the poor man's altitude training, um, the, the low, you know, low elevation heat humidity training is, um, but then even, I, I think there's a lot of, um, mental games you can get from it as well. Like you're, you learn, you learn how to push yourself incredibly hard because you, you have that extra element of the weather, making it more difficult on top of what you're already trying to do. And when that's removed, you're able to, you know, either run at the same pace at an easier effort, or you can run faster at the the same effort that you had before. So, but it's all about getting through the summer, making those adjustments, Surviving. not not giving up on it. Just yeah. sort of being being patient, um, being you know kind to yourself, and knowing that you can make mm-hmm. make those adjustments. And it doesn't mean that you are failing, that you're you know that you've lost a bunch of fitness. Um, it just mm-hmm. means that you're it's it's just sort of 
like I said, sort of cloaked by, by that yeah. humidity. Like if you set the expectation, you won't be as disappointed. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think more and more over time, people, if you live in, in this area or somewhere similar, um, you kind of, hopefully you learn, you learn that. You and, learn real quick. When you <laughs> exactly. Walk outside, exactly. For sure. so, and or you just learn, learn how to adjust things in terms of how you want to train, what races you want to train mm-hmm. for. Like for me, I, I'm mainly a runner, but I also like doing some, some triathlon training in the summer because I, because of the weather, I don't want to do as much running yeah, as I normally right. would do. So it's, it's just a way to, you know, you just kind of learn, learn how to adjust and adapt, yeah. adapt what you want to do. Um, and it's more tolerable, <laughs> more tolerable, not all the way. Yeah. Just a little bit I'll never more. say that I'll totally enjoy running, running in the summer here every yeah. day, but but how long have you... So you've lived here for a while. Where did you live mm-hmm. before that? So I, I grew up mostly in Charlotte. Oh, so okay. So most of my life so before I came to college. To exactly. But even even between here and Charlotte, there's a, you know, usually a pretty big difference humidity. in how it feels with humidity because it may get hotter in Charlotte, but it also is less humid and yeah. it cools down, you know, not a, not a bunch, but it cools down more overnight there than it does here. They don't yeah. have overnight lows close to 80 sometimes Ooh, like we gosh. do. So. so you mentioned before athletes feeling like they're failing or maybe they didn't perform the way that they wanted to. How do you navigate those conversations with those like particular athletes that feel like their performance is so connected to their self-worth? It's, I'm not good enough. I failed. I'm not doing enough. Have you had that problem with a lot of athletes? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, a couple of the things are most difficult to deal with with athletes is, you know, disappointment. And also, you know, like injury, um, which, which could also be obviously disappointment um, because, you know, when an athlete and also you as a coach feel like, you know, they put in all the, all the work to, um, to in, in training and sometimes you feel like you almost have like earned or deserved this like result. And mm-hmm. for, the, in, for the most part, that's what people like about endurance training is that, you know, if you put in the work, you get the results. And so if you've been doing all the work, it's, it's been a good training plan. You've been following it mostly. Things have been going well. And then you get to that, that race or, or it, even if the goal isn't a race, but you don't sort of meet that goal, um, it's tough. And I, I think it goes back to if you're a coach who is, who is assigning value to things beyond just their performance and the sort of end result, either the, the time on the race clock or, or whatever you know, objectively they might be working towards, then I think it's it's easier to, to get over those things mm-hmm. because they're not going to tie um, all of their their worth or think of all of the work they've done as only being about that one that one day or that deadline they set for whatever kind of goal they've set. Um, I, I think that's that's a way to kind of avoid how difficult the mm-hmm. disappointment can be. Not to say that you're ever just going to if you're just like totally okay with a race going yeah. poorly, then then maybe it wasn't that important to you. Um, so I think it's okay to feel disappointed. It means it meant something you to you, which is fine. You cared, yeah. But the the more over time you can develop that culture of of valuing things other or in addition to performance, um, the the more manageable that is mm-hmm. on, on both sides, and also from the coach and the athlete, and and also going back to the coach not. Um, the, the athlete not perform feeling like they're performing for the coach themselves. Mm-hmm. Like the, you don't want them to think that they need to be doing this because you want it for them more than they want it for themselves. Yeah. So I think it, it goes back to, you know, assigning value and to things in addition to performance, um, you know, 
congratulating, complimenting, or just sort of providing an example, using that as an example when people are doing things that are productive, that are helpful to the team mm-hmm. um, outside of just what they're doing performance-wise. How much of endurance training do you feel like is mental? This oh. may be a trick question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of it is. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can think about what, you know, a percentage breakdown, but it's, it, it's crucial. I mean, you have to be able to, to control your, your – I, I don't always think that you need to control your emotions. I think you control kind of like your response to your emotions – um, there's so many things that are out of your control in, in life, obviously for thinking more broadly, but also in a, in a workout or in a race situation and you are going to feel a lot of emotions. And I think the people that, that judge their emotions as they're happening, that's sort of, if, you know, say they're, they're in a race and it's, you know, they're, they're running more slowly than they expect either for the whole thing or just maybe one part of it. And they start all of a sudden thinking like, Oh, this is going poorly. Like Mm -hmm. why I shouldn't be feeling this way. Like this isn't great. Um, that just sort of snowballs. Whereas if you can just know that, like if you can expect to be challenged during that race, that's sort of why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, if you can expect to be challenged and, be ready for the fact that you're going to feel um, that really intense discomfort, but but just sort of be ready for it and not judge that it's happening, but just know know that it's going to happen and know that it's it's part of it. I love. That. I think yeah. that that allows you to 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 get through it um, at least some more easily. Like um, it's supposed to hurt. Exactly. You're, you yeah. you you signed up for this knowing that it would be a, challenge. a challenge, and if you can get through it. Um, you know, it's going to mean that much more too if you're a challenge than if it felt just easy from start to finish. Um, yeah. Nobody want, like wants to finish a race and be like, oh, that was easy. Because it's like, okay, well, if it was easy, you could have done more. Exactly. I mean, and certainly if it's something that you're, you're trying for the first time or you've, you've never you've never approached a race in a certain way or, or, or some sort of event in a certain way and, and you it's very new to you and it, it feels that way. That's, you know, that's maybe fine because that you're, you were almost, almost in a information seeking kind mm-hmm. of mode in doing that event. Um, and, and then you just have great feedback for knowing how you can adjust for the next time. But yeah, certainly once, once you are experienced and are maybe approaching it more with a performance mindset, you, yeah, you do want to obviously finish feeling like you had given it everything you had, um, and, and been challenged in different ways. And so I, I you know, I think, you just have to get better at knowing that you're going to feel a wide range of emotions and not not judge those emotions mm-hmm. really quickly. Um, I, a lot of athletes, especially if they're if they're newer or if they, um, I, I don't like calling athletes like slow. I always say that you're there's just different levels of fast, and we're just mm-hmm. you know different different sort of a, a spectrum of, of of speeds and levels of fastness. Um, and I think some athletes. If they are less fast, they sometimes look at people who are faster than them and they assume that it all is coming easily to them and that they're not, they're not feeling that pain or that they're experts at just pushing that aside. And I think the, the sooner that, um, that an athlete can realize that you know athletes at all levels are going through a huge spectrum of, mm-hmm. of emotions, of feelings, of of you know of of doubts either in their training or or in racing 
Um, it's just that maybe over time they've gotten better at being able to, to confront that, ex- accept those feelings, um, as opposed to being scared by what they're feeling or, or you know, trying to, to you know, deny what they're feeling. Like um, spiraling. Yeah, exactly. Around. If you can just kind of lean into it and just sort of accept that um, you're going to experience a wide range of emotion. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes some people, I think, pursue these endurance sports, whether they know it or not, or even people who are doing, um, you know, things like advent, anything adventurous. Mm-hmm. They're, you're kind of doing this and signing up for it to feel something. Yeah. <laughs> and so, point. you know, if, if you have to kind of have some sort of comfort level of, of knowing there's unexpected things that are going to come up. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times training and practice is a really controlled scenario and you can control a lot of things. If, if things aren't going well, you can pull the plug. It's, but it's different when you get to a, a race or maybe that the end of your, your deadline of hitting some sort of fitness goal. And you, you just have to, to know that, you know, you, you can only prepare so well for it. Like your, your preparation gets you so far and then you kind of have to, to execute. And it's like your response to it. Yeah. Yeah. How can you, how can you respond when things aren't going well? Yeah. Like when everything hits the fan. Exactly. <laughs> like you know, it's going to hurt, but if you are sitting there or standing there, whatever you're doing and it's like, this really hurts. I hate this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I need to stop versus this really hurts. Okay. Well that was the goal. Like it's supposed to hurt. This is a mm-hmm. challenge for me. But I feel like as soon as you go down one path, and it's so easy for your brain to switch and be like, no, this hurts, you need to stop. It's like you just can't even mm-hmm. allow yourself to think that. And as soon as you do, like you, you want to stop producing less mm-hmm. force. You want to go slower. Yeah. Or you, you, sometimes I think what athletes will think is, I, but I've done this in practice before and I've mm-hmm. been able to, to hold this pace or this amount of power. Um and if, if I'm not doing that, then why am I doing this? But it's, it's like mm-hmm. you have to kind of check back in and think, okay, my goal is to, to, to get the most out of myself today. All, all I can offer right now is, is my best effort. Mm-hmm. Maybe that isn't going to give me the, the, the metrics, you know, the sort of objective output that I expected, but, but that's okay. You, when you finish, you are, you know, I, I always, I've said before that I wish that there was some way to, in addition to the you know the actual results of the race, the very objective results of the race, which I'm not saying we should throw those out. I think it's an important component of, of you know competition and all of that. But I think that I wish there was also a way to have some sort of concrete score or something assigned to like this is how hard this athlete pushed. Yeah. I don't think you realize even though they were you know you know next to last, they like, actually their effort score was higher than the winner of the race, or <laughs> yeah. their um, or maybe there's even like a scale of like this person enjoyed the race way more than you did. I know you won the race, oh but this one, like this person like really like a got non, the most out of it. <laughs> a non-time victory. Exactly. Yeah. And going back again to saying how you, you can't just assign value to the, the like the objective mm-hmm. performance outcome. You like, are always more than your objective mm-hmm. results. Exactly. And so I think, you know, that starts from the top down of coaches needing to, to, you know, kind of manifest and the, create that environment for the the athletes they work with and if you're if you're coaching within a team setting it becomes easier to do that because if a few people catch on then it sort of spreads as well yeah and you're not just always only praising people for getting a good score or a good time it's Mm -hmm. like you kind of you see this in kids too that like you're not you're not praising 
always the accomplishments, like you're praising the behaviors and the consistency and the hard work mm -hmm. because you, you grow and you learn, okay, well, I get praised for doing, for getting A's. I get praised for getting soccer goals or, or whatever. And then you get to this point and you're like, well, I don't, I don't have anything else to assign my self-worth to. Mm -hmm. It's just being good at something. And so I love your approach of making this so much more than just the objective results. What is your own training like right now? Sure. Yeah. So right now, and as I mentioned, I, in the summers, I do, I do like to focus a little bit more on, on more triathlon training. I still am, I run more than any of the other disciplines, but mo most of the year. So I would say, you know, August through you know, April or so. I'm, I'm mainly focused on running. Um, I still, um, you know, since graduating college, I still have tried to kind of train at a, at a high level or what I consider a high level. Um, you know, I've, I had a, I would say, somewhat disappointing kind of like into my college career with a lot of injuries. And I, um, I don't know, I, I'm one of those people that kind of had felt like they had some unfinished business mm -hmm. um, in terms of racing. And, and in addition to also just loving the sport. I, I just love just the, the act and the nature of moving, moving outside, whether, whether it is with people or even just, you know, being alone and just having, being alone with my thoughts. Um, I, I love sort of every, every part of the, of running from the sport aspect of it, mm -hmm. um, as a competitor, as a fan of the sport, um, but also just the, the act of doing it. So I, I'm, I'm pretty consistent with it. Um, I've have a pretty, you know, long injury history, but I've, I've done a good job, especially the past year and a half or so of kind of pulling myself out of some <laughs> of that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I long-term I'm, you know, I'm hoping to, um, you know, improve on some of my longer distance race. Like I really want to work on my marathon. Um, I've over the past, since the pandemic, really, I've kind of focused on shorter races and I've, um, actually set like a few personal bests that were faster than even when I was running back in college wow. at some shorter distances. Um, and part of that was motivated by working with the, you know, the college of Charleston team this spring. And so I was able to hop in a couple of meets track meets that they were doing in the spring. And, you know, it was probably the only person in their thirties lining up on the track. <laughs> glory <days. Yeah. laughs> um, but, uh, you know, enjoying doing that and, and ran a couple races, you know, faster than I even did back when I was in college. And so, um, aiming to hopefully, you know, seeing, seeing what I could do with these next, you know, I, I don't like to think that age needs to limit people, but I, I certainly am aware of the fact that with my, you know, I'm, I'm 31 now, um, probably my, my best window of, of time is, you know, is sometime in the next, you know, five to seven years with my running, um, in terms of, you know, most of the distances that, that I'll pursue. So just seeing what I can get out of myself and seeing how far I can take it. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy the, I enjoy the training. I enjoy the, you know, like I said, just kind of getting out there and, and challenging myself in different ways. So do you like training or competing more? I, I, I really go back and forth on that because I, I I think before the pandemic, if you would have asked me, I probably would have said the the competing, the racing. But I I really in you know was able to enjoy 
uh, last year, um, until the very end of the year, I didn't really race at all. And I still was able to find a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment out in, in doing that. I, I think it's because I was able to, to look at the training with not having a, a race mm. in mind as a deadline. And I think I did a lot of that mm. before, which was why I oftentimes would be related to some of my injuries that I had was yeah. I kind of thought I had to, to race, rush, like race, uh, rush towards a, a race. Um, whereas not, at least for a while, not having any races scheduled, I was able train. to kind of train and, um, focus on at least, I still need to do structured training. Cause if I just sort of did whatever I, I did actually early in the pandemic get hurt because I was just sort of doing whatever I wanted to on a given day. It goes back to the importance of of having a, a plan that you follow. Yes. I, I should be a better coach to myself in that way. That's how it always um, works. Yeah. Coaches need coaches too. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, but I, so now it's hard because I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I enjoy the, the, the training and the itself, but I also enjoy getting out and, and competing. Um, and it's, you know, I, I really value the opportunities, the races I get to do that are, um, that are when I can run with a field that's really competitive and that I can be sort of, you know, in some ways like pull, pulled along to a fast mm-hmm. time, um, more so than races where you kind of just find yourself kind of out there alone. It's mm-hmm. a little bit harder to kind of push yourself. So do you find any difficulty, like knowing that so you made the switch in January to being like a full-time coach and also working with college of Charleston, mm-hmm. like your whole life centered around this thing? Do you find any difficulty like doing your own training or motivating yourself for your own training, knowing that it's like, this is, this is what you're thinking about all the time? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have come up on some of that. I mean, cause there definitely was a benefit before of when I was, you know, working a job that wasn't related at all to running or, you know, triathlon coaching, um, that I had a lot of balance with that. Um, even though I was schedule wise was busier and felt conflicted in some ways, um, it was nice to. Um, to not always be thinking about one thing, yeah. but now you know, this, this basically for this calendar year, it's really been all in on my coaching, and then but also you know having a little bit more time for my own training, um, and even just to think about my own training. Which sometimes, mm-hmm. if you have more time just to think about things, you kind of can overthink, <laughs> yeah, and, and um, complicate it more than it needs to be. Um, but I think you know, other than the the scheduling aspect of it, so like a lot of times, if I'll have you know, a morning practice and an evening practice. It makes it a little bit harder to figure out. Like I, I'm running at a weird time of day right, or training at a, yeah, which right now is an issue in terms of like, heat. Oh, yeah. um, and other times of year it's sometimes it's like, I need to get over it. But sometimes I'm like, what do these people think I'm like doing? If I can just go for a run, like any time of the day, like they probably think I don't work or anything, which I just need to get over that. I think a lot mm. of people have different work schedules. Especially now. Exactly. Yeah. Especially now for sure. But, um, yeah, no, I think I think overall it's 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 something I'm learning to to be okay with and be better at in terms of you know being more flexible at what time of day I'm going to work out and mm-hmm. what you know what that means for sleep and eating yeah. and all of that and also knowing that you know if if I need to give myself this space to just do an easy run instead of a specific workout I have planned because I'm just you know I've been so in my head about like how a practice went or how my athletes are doing. Cause that, that can happen sometimes where I'm kind of, mm-hmm. I'm so absorbed in what, what that, what's going on there that I need to just have a mental like a just, break from just a break. Yeah. And just go out yeah. and run. But at the same time, sometimes a really hard workout is cathartic and is a good mm-hmm. escape. So I think it's, it's, you know, 
kind of figuring out what, what you need on a given day, which is similar to how, mm-hmm. as a coach, you have to kind of look at an athlete from, you know, this is a this would be a great workout for them um, in, in isolation from anything else that's going on, but is it the right workout for them today, you know, based on this thing that happened to them or this thing that's going on in their life? Um, it's very context-specific. Yeah, like, unfortunately, most of us don't live in a vacuum that we can just eat, sleep, and train. And that's where I find that, like, I call it the middle class of athletes, where you're not getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. And so you're not a professional. And, like, I think of CrossFitters all the time. I have friends who have full-time jobs but are also going to the games. And Mm -hmm. it's just so challenging to manage all of those variables and those stressors. And then, obviously, the people at the elite level, like, they have stressors. But, like, Matt Frazier got his fiance to do everything else in his life, and he just trained. And so it's like that upper middle class where it's so tough with these people that they love training, they want to train, they have coaches, oh, but they also have a family and Mm -hmm. relationships and a full-time job and other stressors. And managing all that um, can be a bit overwhelming at Mm -hmm. times. Tell me about what a day in the life of Chris looks like. Sure, yeah. Um, Trying to think, I mean, you know, a lot of times I'll either have Right now, it's a little more relaxed because the College of Charleston practices mm. aren't aren't happening right now over the summer because they're they're all over right now. Mm. But um, you know, but in a other time of year, I could have one or two practices, uh, you know, in a day where I'm actually meeting with my athletes. So it could be in the morning, could be in the evening, or maybe I have a one of each. Um, so I'm doing some of that, some in person coaching. I'm also doing a good bit of of coaching like online so working out training plans and training peaks whether that's like adding new workouts for my athletes coming up or looking back at what they have just done seeing how things are going and I usually actually do that first because I want to see how things are going before I give them more workouts Mm -hmm. in the future because you want it to be kind of adaptive over time so a good bit of time on the computer doing that then there's other kind of just more administrative Mm -hmm. stuff that I'm doing on the computer as well like you know, if I have a practice that evening or the next morning, I'm communicating to the athletes that are attending that practice. I'm planning what the workout will be. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of like programming that out, um, starting off with what are we broadly trying to achieve as a group and like what kind of workout overall are we doing? But then looking at each athlete who's coming, who's, you know, is registered RSVP for practice. How do I need to, if, if at all, like adjust this workout so it's right for them on that day? And so how much volume are they doing? Do I, you know, what kind of paces, if, if I'm assigning paces, do I need to assign to them? So I'm working on that. Um, you know, right now we've been leading, um, Hannah and I have been leading that, you know, mm-hmm. seminar sort of series of, of um, basically, you know, hour long or so uh, Zoom seminars each, mm-hmm. each week on different topics related to running and coaching runners. So I might be preparing like a basically like a lesson for that and a presentation. Um, also working this summer with a couple of coaching interns who are um, in addition to uh, participating in that series, that weekly series of, of topics, they're also helping us out at practice learning about you know what it means to be a coach, how do you lead a practice. So probably probably communicating with them in some way. You've got a lot going yeah. on. <laughs> Doing and, a random podcast yeah. on a Tuesday. Exactly, afternoon. yeah. No, this is a good this is a good break. Uh, um, yeah. Getting my own my own training in yeah. as well. So. And then there's like sleep. Yeah. And things <laughs> sleep like that. And eating, all right. that. Yep. Yeah. 
So what would be the next step? Like how can our listeners find you? How can they maybe start the next step to becoming an athlete of yours? Sure. Yeah. Um, appreciate you asking that. So uh, our website is IamWithoutLimits.com. Um, but if you just were to Google without limits, without limits, Charleston, it'll probably be the, the first hit. So on, on the website, there's an inquiry form um, that people can fill out. Um, you can also find us on, on social media. Um, our sort of main one is I am without limits um, as well. And then it's uh, W-O-L mm-hmm. underscore Charleston is the local one. Or if, it, if you probably just search on Instagram without limits, Charleston, you could uh, DM us there as well. Um, Awesome. That would be a great way to get in touch. I know that you can Google Chris Bailey without limits. Yeah. And your page comes <laughs> right up. Yeah, our Google, our Google analytics are pretty good. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This has been amazing. Thanks, Anna. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to Instagram. Find us at Healthy Charleston. Leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.